Backyard Green Films is proud to present this episode of Agriculture with your host, Alara Bowman. Alara and her husband, Rick, travel throughout the land in their travel trailer, which they have nicknamed Bessie, bringing you stories about their travels and the people they meet. They visit farmers, ranchers, and just about anyone who loves putting their hands in the dirt or their feet in stirrups. In those travels, they have gotten to meet some very interesting people. Here's one of those interviews. Hi, this is Alara. Welcome back to our podcast. If there's one thing I enjoy, it's a good story. Well, another is history and dirt and art and diversity and the glorious growing area that is the Hudson River area of New York. And, okay, so that's obviously not one thing that I enjoy, but it's me, so if there's something that's a big chunk of 358 things all connected together in some way, shape, or form, you'll know that I'll want to talk about it. And today, all of that, and tons more, is wrapped up in seeds. Hudson Valley seeds, to be exact. That connection thing is something I'm particularly missing this year, especially in light of all the fairs and festivals that have been canceled due to the pandemic. State fairs, festivals, and shows are places where you get to see the general populace in all of its sameness, or in all of its variety, and sometimes in all of its weirdness, which is great for the people watchers among us. But you get to see those things in bulk, depending on which event you happen to be attending. Once again, This year, we'll all be missing the truly interesting event here in California that we call the Heirloom Exposition. Santa Rosa, California will be quiet this September once again, and it will be without the gardeners, growers, spinners, weavers, vendors, activists, and most importantly, the seed swappers that descend upon this beautiful little town that sits about an hour north of San Francisco on the 101 Highway. So for all of you who might want a little taste of this experience, we're bringing you a conversation with one of the big names in the seed world here in the United States, and probably farther than that. His name is Ken Green, and he's with the Hudson Valley Seed Company, based out of New York. That is one of my favorite growing regions in the country, and if you've ever followed the Hudson River's tree-lined corridors filled with farmland, you know why. We met up with him in 2019, which was the last time the Heirloom Expo was held. As you'll hear, he is a man who appreciates all of the color and flavor and history that the world has to offer. All of which, and more, is wrapped up in little packets of life that celebrate the diversity of our planet. I really enjoyed speaking with him, as you can tell, and we hope to do it again this October during their seed harvest back east if we can swing it. We'll check back in with you on that one, and we'll keep you posted. I really missed going up this year to the Heirloom Expo in all of its falafel cooking, granola eating, seed swapping, squash piling glory. But if you go for the seeds and all they represent, there's one thing that shines through. That little package of life can be stored for a long time in a can or in a garage or on a shelf or in a vault or covered away from the sunlight in the hard, cold earth. But someday, things will warm again, and the long winter will be over. And then, in the spring, there will be bloom. A few weeks back, we brought you a conversation with the amazing woman known as Melissa Gira. 
who looks at food as not just something to be consumed, but as something that represents the span of history in every bite. Ken Green is also one of those people. He started out as a librarian, and it makes sense that he's decided to share that love of knowledge and potential, and of all that seeds represent with the world. From the 2019 Heirloom Expo, here's the seed library man himself, Ken Green. Hi. We're here at the Heirloom Expo in Santa Rosa. Please introduce yourself. Tell me what you're doing here. So I'm Ken Green, and I, uh, many years ago, founded the first seed library in the country, and the, wound up quitting. The very first yes, seed library. Yeah. Wow. I wound up quitting my job, and my partner quit his job, and we started a seed farm, and we turned it into the Hudson Valley Seed Company, uh, and so that's what we've been doing for the last. 14 years or so now. Yeah. So in the beginning, was that, that one of those decisions, like being a musician, you're going to say, we're going to do this whether we can retire at 80 or not? Yeah. You know, I was full-time at the library, and then I started the seed library. And I was like, oh, I need a little bit more time with the seeds. So I asked them if I could go down to four days, and they were like, okay. And then I needed to go down to three days, and then two. And then finally, I was just like one day a week at the library, all the rest of my time was seeds. I was like, maybe it's time <laughs> make to make the leap yes. and just be with the seeds and see what happens. Yeah. So why do you call it a library? Well, so I worked at a public library. Yes. And so the idea was um, that I added seeds to the library catalog because seeds come with stories. They come with cultural stories, uh, romantic stories, spiritual stories, myths, tall tales, travel. Uh, and so I wanted to, people to think about the stories that are passed with the seeds just as much as the genetics. And so if you check out a seed from a seed library, then you bring it home. And the way libraries work is you have to bring the story back. So saving seeds from the, from the plants and bringing them back to the library um, to share with the rest of the community. And there's over 400 seed libraries all over the country now. And at this event, we have our annual National Seed Librarian Summit, where we all get together and talk. But you know, for me, I turned it into a seed company, and so you know, people can buy seeds from us, and you don't have to return seeds <laughs> but, um, to get seeds from us. But this is one of the problems with doing something that has a great value to it that might not be a monetary value. Mm -hmm. You have to make it economically viable. Yes, and yes. you've succeeded in doing that. And Most therefore, of the time. <laughs> well, <laughs> but this is not unusual in agriculture. If you're going to raise a, a heritage animal or an heirloom seed or an heirloom vegetable, you have to. It can either be a labor of love. You lose your shirt, and then you right. can't do it in the long run. Well, and it's I like think filmmaking. Yeah. Well, I think a big part of it also is awareness. Yes. That most people, when they're looking at uh, eating something. Yes. You know, we have sort of a farm-to-table consciousness, but people don't think back that step just before that. So with seeds, it's, well, you know, we're saying, where does food come from? Who grows the food? How do they grow the food? But we're not necessarily saying, well, where did those seeds come from that grew the food? How are those seeds grown? Who is caring for them? How are they growing them? And how does that change what's available to me? And what sort of ripple effect does that have on the food system? And so seeds are the foundation of our food system, but they're pretty invisible to most people. And so the idea of all this diversity that we're losing, so loss of genetic diversity, is really because of lack of transparency in the food system. 
So if we don't know where our food comes from and where our seeds come from and what that means, then whoever's controlling that, which happens to be large corporations for the most part, are narrowing what our choices are, which is narrowing the diversity of what's available to us. So for us as a seed company, we're all about bringing that diversity back. But it, and I'm sure you've experienced this with your work with the heritage animals, there's a huge educational piece. Oh, that's the biggest part of it. Yeah. Because people have kind of label fatigue or sticker shock, whatever you like to call it. They know, okay, it's non-GMO, and they know it has a label on it that says cruelty-free and pasture-based and, you know, organic. And yet, nowhere do they talk about the breed. Mm -hmm. Right. In the terms the of breed an animal. Or the or variety. The variety. Yes. Nowhere. People and think broccoli. Is and that's like as far as they go. That's exactly And it's it. like, well, if we were thinking about the varieties, then you'd be thinking about diversity. Yes. And you'd thinking, be thinking about the impact of your food choices. So what we do is, um, just going to grab a few of these to share with them. So you can see that our seed packs don't look like a regular seed pack. No, they do not. Right? And they also don't work like a regular seed pack. Uh, when you open it up, you take this sticker off. Now I'm going to have to buy this, you know no, that, right? You don't. No, 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 I really will have to no. buy this. And four no. others just because, right? It's, I can put it all this back together. This is a marital together. issue for me. He's standing right there. <laughs> so that's what the seed pack looks like when it opens it up. It looks like a young adult novel or a Madeline Lingle book. And then or there's a whole story inside. Okay, so what? Tulsi, considered a sacred plant in the Hindu religion, has been cultivated for at least 3,000 years and on and on. Yes. Wow. So the idea behind this was the educational piece. When people see our seed pack, we want them to do a double take, you know, and think, what's this something different is happening here. So I work with artists. Every single seed pack is by a different artist. I tell the artist the story of the seed, whatever that story is. And then the artist interprets that story through the artwork. They're telling the story. And then a little piece of that story is inside so that we can start to change the culture around food and around the choices that we have yes. and bring this diversity back. Yeah, and, and I don't think people really understand the, the, the complete lack of diversity in the food system. We got to talk to Kerry Fowler. You're from New York. He oh, lives yeah. in New York, too. Yeah, he's really close by. Where yes, we and he started the Sea Bank in Svalbard mm -hmm. in Norway. But he, when we talked to him, he showed us a book that he has, and it's a couple inches thick, and he says this is a book of the apple varieties in New York State. Yep. Just New York yep. State. So I have one called Beans of New York. That's from 1931, I think. Everybody has Beans yeah. of New York. That was on the bestseller yeah. list, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, they should. <laughs> um, so there's there was a lot more research being done in the early 1900s in, in the United States about diversity, about what was being grown. We have lost, I think the statistic is close to 80% of the plant diversity in terms of what's grown on farms um, in the last 80 years. And But you're at a place right now at the Heirloom Expo where there's a whole lot of people, there's a big community of people working to bring all of that diversity back. And the way to bring the diversity back is to get the seeds into the hands of gardeners, into the hands of farmers, and get them excited about the, the flavors and the stories and the diversity and the color and the beauty of all this diversity. Um, and so it's like, I love, we come all the way out from Hudson Valley, New York to California every year, last eight years since the first year of this event, um, because this is the only place that I come where we're 
surrounded by a whole bunch of people who are doing the same kind of work. Yeah, the same and yet completely different in many ways. Okay, so if you have people that say, okay, I'm not as interested in the story, I'm not as interested in all this, if you had to say, this is why seed diversity is in your self-interest, what would be the answer? Well, for most people, it's through their taste buds <laughs> and into their stomach. Very valid. You know, um, although for other people, I think it's beauty as well. Yes. So we, we have flowers, we have herbs, we have vegetables. It's a pretty large collection. Yes. Um, but for a lot of people, uh, they're tired of the, the commercial flavors, the, the very bland palate that's offered at a grocery store. They're going, starting to go to farmer's markets and they're discovering that things taste better yes. and, and actually they're better for you yes. as well. And so for a lot of people, just trying something that's going to have a new flavor um, gets them really excited. But the artwork has been interesting too because some people come in and they'll check out and they'll be like, I chose this for the artwork. That's how you get them in the door. And I'm Doesn't like, matter that's how. great. Yes, yes. Because now you're trying something that you wouldn't have tried before. Yes. The artist inspired you either through beauty um, or through the story to want to try something new. Yes. Yeah. A couple of years ago when we were in Portland, I had an heirloom tomato and it was a purple, gorgeous slice of heirloom tomato. And I put it on the par with steak in terms of the, and uh -huh. I'm, a, I'm a steak girl, I'm a beef girl. Mm -hmm. It was the most amazing tasting thing and it was light years from a tomato, mm -hmm. you know, that we consider yeah. to be a tomato. So you've got to try the Paul Robeson. If you like that kind of... I have of, to buy a second uh, one? No, you don't have no. to buy it. <laughs> um, if you like it, you know, something that you, you can get a nice thick slice yes. out of and feel yes. like it's, it's substantial and really just incredible flavor. This yes. is a very, like, rich, complex, very deep flavor. Deep is the Where, word, like, yes. you're tasting it and then there's, like, more flavor and, like, my... Like, I can feel it right now. Salivate. Just like, yeah. Yes. yes. <laughs> like, it goes beyond just, like, what we think of as, like, the generic tomato flavor. But that's, you know, that's that's the common thought is a tomato tastes like a tomato. And right. we've gotten a little bit better about that in the last couple yeah. of years. But it, it was my understanding when they started doing, uh, they were started doing uh, agriculture and they started uh, using machinery and equipment for harvesting. Oh, they yeah. could figure out ways to make a machine that would harvest every single thing except a tomato. And so therefore, instead of trying after years and years and years to make a harvester that would match the tomato, they just made the tomato and that's, sturdier. That's and true of most of our vegetables. That's true of most of our vegetables. But our taste buds are saying that is tomato, when really that's just the tomato going to market yeah. concept. That will yeah. go in the back of a truck down I-5. We're all the way up here, I-5 North. Big big trucks of mm -hmm. tomatoes, just yep. full of tomatoes. Yep. I don't know about you, but I can't even get it from the store to home without denting a decent tomato. I, I don't want to sound snooty because I am not a food snob at all, but during the winter, I just don't eat tomatoes. <laughs> I eat tomato sauce, I eat canned tomatoes. Once you start eating yes. a fresh homegrown tomato or from your farmer's market that has this kind of story with it and this kind of flavor profile, it is really difficult 
to go get a sandwich in the winter yes. that has a, like yes, a generic story. It just, yes. you're like, what is this? Yes. It like doesn't taste like anything. I agree. So I kind of have a bit of a tomato fast <laughs> during the winter <laughs> and I wait <laughs> until they're ready. Yeah. Yeah. And I just have to say, I'm so glad that you're talking about the story behind it. We, we came up here and we talked to Bob Quinn, who does the Grain by Grain mm -hmm. uh, book right now. And one of the things that he was telling us about is, is the story of getting the grains. It's a question, I can never pronounce that. It's a type of wheat that's mm -hmm. from Iran originally. Uh -huh. And it has a great gluten uh, difference from today's uh, wheat. And so people that are less gluten tolerant can handle this kind of wheat easier in general. Uh -huh. But he tells us the story of finding it in a coffee can and from that, that his dad got it from the, the state fair mm -hmm. and you know. It, uh, we have so many stories in this collection like that, you know, things that would have been gone except for one person yes. who thought, this is important to me. It's either because they had a personal connection or a family connection or a cultural connection or they just noticed that a food that they loved was disappearing and said, I'm going to start saving seeds from this and that that one person is the reason that that variety still exists. And in today's homogenized society, differences and meaning add to our lives amazing yeah, in an amazing way. Yes. So true. Okay, so if somebody wants to find you, yep. how do they do it? So our website is hudsonvalleyseed.com and our main business is selling seeds online. We have a print catalog too we can mail out. And then we come to a few events like this, not not too much. So HudsonValleySeed.com is the place to find us. Well, I'm going back in October to the Hudson Valley, and I'm going to come, come and arrive farm. on your porch. Yes, we'll show you how we grow the seeds and how we clean them and thresh them and winnow them and the seeds that need to be fermented and how we dry them down and how we store them. I'll show you the whole process. And I'm assuming, especially with the Hudson Valley, you have dirt that one wants to just get down and roll in. Mm -hmm. We've done a lot of soil work yes. where we are. So where real yeah. dirt is supposed yeah. to look. Yeah, it's good stuff. Wonderful. Well, yeah. thank you so much. Yeah, we appreciate it's great it. To it's meet been you. wonderful. Thanks. I'm sorry, I'll have to buy five or six no. packs, or maybe yes. seven or eight. <laughs> if you liked our podcast, please subscribe. This is how we keep going, and please ask your friends to join us. Please also feel free to post any comments or questions to our social media sites. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook under Backyard Green Films. Thanks again for listening. We want to thank Ken for speaking with us. And if you'd like more information, please visit HudsonValleySeed.com. Also, visit the National Heirloom Exposition. Unfortunately, this year it's canceled again due to COVID-19. But please visit and support them. Thank you, and we'll see you next week with another adventure. You have been listening to Agriculture with your host, Alara Bowman. Please tune in for more upcoming episodes from our travels. I'm Rick Bowman, your behind-the-scenes editor. Until next time. This has been a presentation of Backyard Green Films Productions, all rights reserved, copyright 2021.